Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Look with me to 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2. 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2. David therefore departed from where, from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Today I would like to preach a message entitled, The King in a Cave. The King in a Cave. And I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your mercy and your kindness. I thank you for the shed blood of your son on the tree. I pray, God, that you would have your way in the rest of this service. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Back in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel came to the house of Jesse to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. All of the boys in the room passed before Samuel, yet God did not release Samuel to anoint any of them. Finally, when it looked as if Samuel had missed God, he asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? Well, he did, but this one was not invited to the party. Jesse had never considered the fact that David could be king, but he would be. And so right then and there, Samuel anointed David to be king of Israel. From this story, it seems that everybody was frozen in this moment, dazed, discombobulated, one of my favorite words. Then after that incredible spellbinding moment, Once it had passed, well, you know how it goes. Life picked up where it left off. The needs of the present demanded everyone's attention. Duty called. There were things to do, people to see, places to go. So in short order, after the anointing of David, normal resumed its relentless march. And so with the holy anointing oil still glistening on his scruffy beard, David returned to the fields where he had spent years of his life to watch over the sheep. And the bottom line is this, even though David was anointed, even though the throne had been taken away from Saul and given to David, even though it belonged to David and it was rightfully his, at the end of that day, it seemed as if nothing had changed. David did not take the throne. David just looked like a shepherd with an oily beard. He had those beard oils, you know what I mean? But the moment was forever seared in the minds of David's brothers. They knew if that old prophet was right, and he was always right, then one day they would bow before their brother and call him your majesty. To them, that was unthinkable. 
To them, David was unworthy of this position. They thought it should have gone to one of them. David's brothers would struggle with jealousy from that moment on. So for the next few years, working around David, they, they were making sure to, to hold him back and to hold him down. It's as if they were trying to keep him from fulfilling his destiny, what that anointing really communicated. They mistreated David. They ridiculed him. They isolated him, sequestered him. And even Jesse did the same thing. When, when Israel went off to war against the Philistines, all the brothers went to the battlefield except David. It's as if they were trying to keep him from having an opportunity, a, a stage upon which his destiny could be launched. Had Jesse not sent David with a care package for his older brothers, David would have never even faced Goliath. Even then, when his noble heart arose to, to meet the challenge of Goliath, his brothers criticized him, tried to pull him down and hold him back, discouraged him from stepping into what was his destiny. Now, as you know, he did defeat the Philistine champion. And his brothers just kind of faded away after that for a while. And, and, and when David went to live with Saul, well, Saul got the jealous disease as well. And worked against David. Saul treated David worse than his brothers ever treated him. He talked down to him, ridiculed him, even tried to kill him on more than one occasion. And because of Saul's jealousy, David had to live on the run, on the lamb, in exile. He wound up basing out of a place called Adullam where he lived in a cave. Now back in the day... I used to minister in Southern California on a regular basis, and I would be in San Diego a lot. Greg, I was, I was in San Diego a lot, and I would do a men's retreat at Mount Palomar on the top of the mountain near that famous telescope on that mountain. And, and, and those guys that I would do this men's retreat with were, were so cool and diverse and eclectic. They, they, were, they, were, they, they were just, it was, it was California. It was just California. They were the Californians. You know what I mean? They were the Californians. They, they, there were valley dudes and surfer dudes, Hispanics, Latinos, African Americans, Native Americans, whites, Asians, Silicon Valley geeks, original employees at Qualcomm, upper management wonks at Jack in the Box, the bass player from the 80s band Rat. Yeah, his nickname was, was Lizard. I got a couple of pictures of him. I found him the other day. Yeah, the guy, the guy on your left right there, that's, that's, that's Lizard. And uh, he was in the group. Here's, here's a more recent picture of him. And, and we, would, uh, we would jam together. His name was Tim Garcia. There were landscapers, carpenters, plumbers. They lived large and in charge. And they loved Jesus. Man, they loved Jesus. And one of my favorite guys out there was a guy named JT. And JT had been strung out on drugs, lived in the desert for a while, messed up, crazy. But Jesus got a hold of him and turned him around. And he had become a plumber, opened his own business, and was very successful and and, and JT was one of the first guys, this is a long time ago, one of the first guys that I ever saw play an acoustic guitar and just lead worship like anywhere, you know, like McDonald's, Mount Palomar, uh, in the middle of church, on the side of the road, like anywhere. He'd pull that acoustic guitar out, and he would sing Jesus songs, and it was powerful, man. It was just awesome. And JT had a burden for his brother. And JT told me, I'll never forget this conversation. JT said, Donovan, I want you to, he, he talked really big, he was a Latino guy, and he was like, Donovan, man, I want you to pray for my brother. He said, my brother's strung out on drugs. He lives up around Seattle on the coast. 
He said he lives in a cave. And he said, God needs him. And I said, well, but time out. Did you just tell me your brother lives in a cave? He's like, oh, yeah, man. He's like, really strung out. He's, real, he's a recluse, man. He lives in a cave. I'm like, the, the JT walked around, you know, barefooted, playing the guitar type thing. But his brother lived in a cave, like modern day times, lived in a cave. And it just blew my mind that this guy was so isolated that he lived in, I come from Bayou country. You know, you'd have to crawl up in the holler of a cypress tree down here. And that's dangerous. But he lived in a cave. Who lives in a cave? Well, I'll tell you who lived in a cave. King David lived in a cave. He was on the run. Now, follow me. David is a type of Jesus. We've looked at this before. Jesus is compared to David more than any other Old Testament character. There's so many remarkable parallels between the two, so much so that Jesus is called the son of David. Here are a few of the parallels. David and Jesus were both born in Bethlehem, the city of David. David and Jesus were both from the tribe of Judah. David and Jesus were both viewed as insignificant, underestimated, overlooked. David and Jesus were both uh, uh, David and Jesus were both anointed. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It means the anointed one. David and Jesus were both rejected by their brothers. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Jesus' brothers thought he was, the King James says, a lunatic. And I want to explore two more of these parallels between David and Jesus. I want to start with Jesus and end with David, but this is where the meat of the message is. Between the initial anointing and assuming the throne before all, David and Jesus were both kings in caves. Let's look at David. David was the king in a cave. In the cave, David's throne was a stone. In the cave, his scepter was a sword. In the cave, his crown was a cloth, a headband. In the cave, there was no evidence to prove that he was king. As a matter of fact, there was plenty of evidence to the contrary. I mean, for crying out loud, he lived in a cave. He was the king in a cave. All anyone had to go on was his word, what he said. I've been anointed to be your king. They had to take him at his word and believe his word. I want to tell you something. That's a parallel to Jesus. It's the same with our Jesus. History may see him as a lowly carpenter from Nazareth with delusions of grandeur who never really sat on the throne of his father David. As a matter of fact, from the time Jesus was born until the time he died, there was no actual throne of David. Do you realize that? From the time that Jesus was born until the time that he died, there was no actual throne of David. David later ascended to the throne. Yes, he had a throne. But Jesus... There was no throne of David in Jesus' time. Why? The Romans ruled and reigned. That's why Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, well, there you go. You are a king. They mocked Jesus by putting a sign over his head on the cross that said in three languages, the king of the Jews. It was sarcastic. It was cutting. It was ridicule. There was no king of the Jews, at least not a Jew, who was sitting on the throne of his father David. 
Not in the true meaning of the phrase. So on the surface, it looked like Jesus was not a king after all. He was a king in a cave. And today, if you look around our world, it looks as if the devil is ruling and reigning. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. Paul calls the devil the god of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. He said he defeated death, hell, and the grave, Jesus that is. He said all power has been given to me in heaven and earth. That's what he said. But it looks like something altogether different. It looks like Jesus is not the king that he claims to be. Are you with me? It looks like he's not the king. He's the king in a cave, though, I'm telling you. Let me go ahead and make this point. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'm telling you, there is coming a day when every knee will bow before his majesty and every tongue will proclaim that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Revelation 4, 1 and 2, John was caught up and he was caught up into the heavens and he saw a day that's coming. He saw the throne with one sitting on the throne. In Revelation 5, 2, John says that he saw a day coming and he saw that throne and the lamb was in the midst of the throne. The one on the throne, the lamb in the midst of the throne has a name and his name is Jesus, the son of the living God, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the king of the Jews, the king of the Gentiles, and the king of the universe. There's coming a day, y'all. There's coming a day when every knee will bow. It's future tense. Every tongue will confess and one day we'll see that lamb We'll see that one on the throne in all of his splendor and majesty. But until then, during this sojourn on earth, he's the king in a cave. He's every bit as much king now as he ever will be. Think about that. He's every bit as much king now. He has every bit as much power and authority now as he ever will have. In the cave of this present, it may not look like he's in control. In the cave of this present, it may look like, it may not look like he's anointed to rule in your situation. But church, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And if you put your faith in him, that king in the cave, I'm telling you, his throne may be a stone, but he still has that throne of grace and power to handle every need that you bring to him in Jesus' name. That addiction, that struggle, that marriage problem, that financial issue that you're dealing with, he has the power to handle it and deal with it. Come on, give him some praise right now. Can you do it? He's the king in a cave. But this really gets even more amazing to me. When he was the king in the cave, David called men to join him in his glorious purpose. And that's a parallel with our Jesus. Jesus is doing the same thing. I want to talk about the call to the cave. In that cave at Adullam, David began to build his team. He began to call out to them, Hey, hey, listen, are you sick of your previous king? Are you sick of the life you've been living? Your old king let you down. You're looking for the future? You come join me. You follow me. It may not look like much in this cave and for the present time, but listen, I've been anointed, and if you'll walk with me and trust me, I'll take you places you can't even imagine. 
That was what David was promising. And that call resonated and men began to come to the cave. I want to tell you something. Jesus is doing the same thing. He's the king in a cave, the cave of this present time. And he is building a team. We call it the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia. It literally means those that have been called out. He's crying out, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's saying, hey, your old king's let you down, but I've been anointed as your new king. Come follow me. Come and follow me. Lay your life down for my sake and you'll find life and life more abundantly. And we've heard that call. Maybe you're hearing that call for the first time today. But I'm telling you, Jesus is calling and building a team together. Now, I love it in this story with David. The first ones to come, notice this. 1 Samuel 22, 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, They went down there to him. It was his family that came first. Now, I'm going to tell you something. God moves in families. I think this is so cool. In the parallel with Jesus, the parallel with Jesus goes like this. This gospel of the kingdom with the king, this gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. In other words, the family that came to the king in the cave in Acts chapter 2 it was Jews first and then Gentiles. It started with the, the, the family. But I want to tell you today, God moves in families. God's moving in families even today in this house. There are many of us here today. We swore we'd never follow Jesus, this king in a cave. But look around. Here we are. And there are those in our family that have sworn the same kind of stuff. I'll never walk in the doors of a church. I'll never go back. We heard stories this morning from Greg about some of his resistance to even going to church because of the dark places that he had been. We've been there. Some of y'all have been there. We've got family members that are there today. But you better not ever write anybody off because that king in a cave, his call is so powerful. He can get a hold of you and convict you and draw you. He finds a way. He finds a way. He moves in families. Hey man, you think some of your family's too far gone. Think again. One day, one day, I believe you're going to see them walk into the cave and they're going to say, I don't know what happened, but I think I heard a Savior calling my name. Amen. The next one's to come are found in verse 2. And I just, I just love this right here. Verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented, gathered to him. So he became captain over them. There were about 400 men with him. This is fascinating to me. Not everyone came to David. Not everyone believed the message. Some were what you would call non-stressed. Some were out of debt. Some were content with their current situation. But there were those who were stressed out. Those who were drowning in debt. Those who were just discontented, distressed, at the end of their rope, in over their head, bankrupt, discontent, just aggravated, frustrated. I want to tell you something. Look around right now. 
Because that's the kind of people that really make up the church. When we came to Jesus, not a single one of us was perfect. We used to have a motto around here called, No Perfect People Allowed. And I still remind you of that. If you think you're perfect, or if you think you are now perfect, maybe you weren't in the past, but you've become perfect, then I'm telling you, you better run. Because we're going to ruin you. We're going to mess you up quick. And uh, you're going to mess up what we got going on, right? No perfect people are allowed around here. When we came to Jesus, not a one of us was perfect. We all had issues. And yet the king in the cave welcomed us just as we were. I'm telling you, you can come to Jesus just like you are. You don't have to get dressed up and prettied up and and made to look cute to come to Jesus. You just come to Jesus warts and all. And you just say, Your Majesty, thank you for the call. I don't deserve to be here, but I'm coming. Now listen, I got issues. He says to you, that's okay. You get in this cave, and I'm going to take care of your stress. You get in this cave, I'm going to take care of your financial ruin. You come into this this place, I'm going to bring you a contentment, a peace that passes understanding. I love it. I love it. The church is made up of people who are broken and messed up. But we heard the call. The thing we all have in common is we're not good enough to get to heaven. But we got a Savior who's extended his grace towards us. He's the king in a cave. It doesn't look like he's in control. But you trust me. You can take him at his word. He's got the whole world in his hands. Psalm chapter 2, one of my favorite psalms in all of the Bible. Psalm chapter 2. It says, why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations conspire against God? And the end of that conclusion, uh, the end of that psalm, the conclusion says this. I sit in the heavens and laugh. Because it looks like things are out of control. But he says, I got it all in control. Your best bet is to kiss the Christ, your Savior. And it may not look like he's in control, but I'm telling you, he got the whole world in his hands. And then it says, David became a captain over them. He began to lead them and to teach them and to change them. It was a process. We are all in process. We are all in process. I love that. I love that. Pastors are not perfect. Saints are not perfect. I mean, it's like we get this thing, we say, well, you know, when I came to Jesus, I was weary, worn, and sad. I didn't have anything to offer him. And we just fall on his mercy, and he saves us. Thank you, Jesus. But after we start living for God for a few minutes, and we get some corn in the crib, you know, like, I could have cussed, and I didn't cuss. Then we're like, wow, I could have cussed, but I didn't cuss. So then we bring that to the Lord and we say, Lord, I thank you today. I'm going to bring these needs to you. But the reason I'm coming to you is because I could have cussed and I didn't cuss. Oh, I'm accepted in the beloved because I cussed and didn't cuss. No, that's not the way it works. You didn't have anything to offer him when you came in the first place. And none of us have anything to offer him still, right? We're only here. By the blood of the Lamb, there is none righteous, no, not one. We didn't bring any. It's not of works that we should boast. We come into this this presence of the Lord strictly because of the shed blood of Jesus and the call of the Savior. We come and say, I thank you, Lord. I could have cussed, 
and I didn't cuss, but that ain't good enough, Lord. All my, all my good works are like filthy rags, Lord. I just come before you and thank you, Lord, for your strength and your mercy. And sometimes when we blow it, we come back in again and we say, Lord, I blew it, but I'm here because of the mercy and the goodness of God. Listen, that's the way you live, by faith and not by sight. We have a Savior. He's a king in a cave, but he's calling those of us in distress and debt and discontented, come unto me and watch what I do with your life. And he's changing us. He's put us in process. He was molding. David was molding his men into a lean, mean fighting machine. And David had plenty of battles to fight and enemies to defeat. Yet he was anointed for these battles. And as long as he walked in fidelity to the covenant, and David's men walked in harmony with him. There's no record in the Bible of him ever losing one man in his many battles. That's a good record. There was no cemetery for the fallen because they didn't lose any. They didn't lose any. As long as David walked in fidelity to the covenant and David's men walked in harmony with him, they won every battle. And I'm telling you, we have a king who will never fail. And as long as we walk in harmony with him, leaning on him, trusting in him, I'm telling you, you are destined to win the battles that the enemy brings against you. Every single one of them. I'm talking about total victory. Now, I, I know, I know, I just said we're not perfect, but you put your trust in Him, and you walk with Him, you fellowship with Him, and the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You walk with Him in that positional right standing before God, and every battle that you face is for you to win and not be defeated, and to God be the glory for it in Jesus' name. Come on now. Give him some praise. Can you do it? He's the Lord of lords and King of kings. We've been brought into this cave with him to go out and do exploits with him. Stand with me right now. Jesus is building an army of called out ones, inviting us to join him in this cave or this church, sending us into all the world to preach the gospel and to make a difference in people's lives. He's invited us to join him. Micah 1.15 speaks of Adullam. This minor prophet throws this caveat in. It says that Adullam will be the glory of Israel. What it means is the noble-hearted ones flee to Adullam, which means Adullam is a place for noble-hearted ones glorious ones. In other words, the ones who are stressed, in debt, discontented with their circumstances and their situation, they had a heart. Let me just put it like this. They had a heart after God. David was a man after God's own heart. They had a heart after God. Their circumstances, in the same way that David's cave situation didn't look like he was a king, their circumstances, it looked like they didn't have a heart after God. But they had a heart after God. People misread them. 
bunch of lazy, good-for-nothings. Don't manage their finances. Don't manage this. Don't do that. Discontents, malcontents. But they had a heart for God. And they were attracted to David who had a heart for God. I'm telling you, that's just the way it works, man. You get a heart. People misunderstand you. They think he's a malcontent. He's good for nothing. He'll never. People said that about me when I was sitting in the lotus position and doing all kind of stupid stuff in my wild days. People didn't think there's a prayer for him. You know, once you cross the line, you're turned over to a reprobate mind, and you'll never come back. And you, he's gone too far. But they didn't know. Oh, deep inside, there was a heart in this old fella that said, God, I want that peace. I want that change. I'm hungry for something. And there are people in this room today, it doesn't look like it. People have misjudged you. Oh, he's an addict. Or she's messed up on this. Or she's gone too far. They've crossed that line. I'm telling you. It's the discontented. It's the ones who are in debt. It's those who are malcontent. It's those who are misjudged. He's saying, come unto me. You look at his first church. Man, you go through the book of Acts. You've got terrorists like Saul that come to the Lord. You've got wizards and sorcerers uh, that come to the Lord in Acts chapter 8. You've got prostitutes. You've got... You got the messed up, the dregs, right? The dregs of society. He takes them into the cave and he sends them out and they turn the world upside down. And he's doing the same thing today. I want to invite you to the cave. Come on into the cave. There's a king in this cave. It doesn't look like much. Let me just put it like this with LifePoint Church. Our building out here, we got a stucco problem you may have noticed. It's, it's, well, our latest fix, thanks to DJ, is we got the foam in a can. We did all we could. We finally got the foam in the can. We need to get that stuff that dude, you know, puts the boat back together. Flexi seal, flex seal. <laughs> Maybe that's the next one after this. We got one more step. We sprayed all that stuff in there, <sighs> swelled up. We got a stucco. It may not look like much. Now, here's the deal that's not long term, right? We're after a fix for that. But it might not look like much. Just a little building here at, at Daigle and Airline. It, it may not look like much, but I'm telling you, this is a cave where the glory of the Lord is in this house. Hallelujah. It's a house of prayer for all nations, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. Every culture, every people group, rich and poor alike. The ground is level here. There's a cross in the center of it all. And there's a lamb exalted, most high king of kings and lord of lords. We just bow the knee and say, your majesty, I am honored to be here. Don't deserve to be here. Hallelujah. You feel the presence of the Lord. I feel the presence of the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Would you close your eyes with me? Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for the challenge of the king in a cave. Doesn't look like much. Looks like the world is going crazy. And it is. But there's a lamb who says, All power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. sent us out into the world to make a difference and one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and of the increase of your kingdom there shall be no end king of the universe and here we are on the ground floor in a cave you said if you'll suffer with me 
you shall reign with me. Seated together with me in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and every name that is named. Hallelujah. for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's Word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.